Hello and welcome, friends, to Nashville Demystified. Nashville Demystified is a show in which I get to know my home better by talking with the folks who live, work, agitate, and make art here. I am your host, Alex Steed. If you are liking this show and you think you're going to listen again, please subscribe. Uh, if you really like the show or, you know, you think you're going to listen again and you want to support the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. I'm told that that's helpful. We'll see. <laughs> Today, we'll talk with Stephen Hale, the great and prolific Nashville scene journalist. The last time I talked with Stephen, uh, he told us about his beat covering the death penalty here in Tennessee. Uh, this was back in 2019, and it wasn't just a favorite conversation for the show. It was like a favorite conversation, period. I just, I learned so much, and uh, it just felt important. And Stephen's work is incredibly important. So I was so happy to ask him back. And when I did, I asked him to come and talk about COVID in state prisons, which is something that Stephen has covered extensively. It's certainly something I want to talk about in the future. But when we caught up, he was just finishing his story about the proliferation of fentanyl poisoning and its impact on record rates of drug overdoses in this local scene. And it turns out nationally because the piece came out a little over a week ago now. And since the New York Times has reported on the trend nationally, indicating that a record number of Americans, 100,000 Americans. Americans died from April 2020 to April 2021, uh, that a record number of Americans have died of this of drug overdoses in the time that we've been going through the pandemic. And a substantial reason for that has been the proliferation of drugs cut with fentanyl. But more on that shortly. I am again, by the way, your host, Alex Steed. How are you doing out there? How's it going out in your life? Thank you. If you listen to our, our Bell Witch episodes, that was so much fun to put together. And I'm so glad to be making this show again. And I was like, you know, I'm going to start making the show again. I'll put 50 to 60 hours <laughs> of research into investigating and talking about the Bell Witch. Uh, I hope that you appreciate it. I got some really lovely feedback and I appreciate that. If you like the show or you like listening to me for whatever reason, I have another show called You Are Good, which I co-host with my friend Sarah Marshall of the show You're Wrong About. And we call this show that we have You Are Good, we call it a feelings podcast about movies. I hope you will check it out. This week, we talk about Thor Ragnarok. And next week, we're going to talk about Raising Arizona. And last week, we talked about Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. We talk about all sorts of movies as a way to get to the bottom of our feelings. So please join us there at You Are Good. This show, National Demystified, is a part of the We Own This Town network of Nashville-based podcasts. We are so grateful to them. There's a show on that network called Filmography Club. And if you are a fan of movies, this is exactly the podcast for you. I've been a guest on that show. Uh, I got to talk about one of my favorites. I got to talk about It Follows. And Jason Sean who is a film critic for uh, the scene and a, a, a gentleman about town. <laughs> gentleman about town sounds ridiculous. Uh, is a film-oriented bomb vivant. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but I love Jason. Jason's great, has been on this show in the past. We talked about the movie Nashville. And Jason uh, joins host Jason Cavanis, uh, and as their most recent guest. So it's a it's a wonderful show. 
check out the shows on the We Own This Town Network. Check out Filmography Club. National Demystified is made possible with support by Knack Factory, a commercial and creative video content production company based in Portland, Maine, and now with offices in Nashville, Tennessee. And it does work throughout these United States. If you need that sort of work made, get in touch with the folks at Knack Factory. They do a good job, in my humble opinion. Finally, in case you're wondering what we'll be covering on the next show, I am so excited to interview Caitlin Rose. Caitlin has been a voice on this show. We did a uh, a David Berman tribute last year. I just love, love, love David Berman. But we did a David Berman tribute on the show last year, and Caitlin lent us her voice. A bunch of wonderful local folks lent us their voice for that. But I adore everything Caitlin does and makes and just her music is wonderful. She's great. So I'm so happy she's finally going to be on the show. Accompanied by Loni Hutchins, she is going to be playing her first show in a few years at the Five Spot on November 27th of this very year of 2021. It's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I'm so psyched for that. This interview will be out a few days beforehand. So that's what you can be looking for in the next show. Caitlin will be on the show and I could not be happier. I've also been researching, not in the next show, but coming up, I've been researching 20th century baby stealing operations uh, in the state and sex work in the 19 teens and how morality and uh, uh, concern about mental malady, how all of these things play together. It all came from me taking a walk around the cemetery the other day <laughs> and looking things up accordingly. I'm excited to dive into those uh, uh, hot topics, those hot button issues of yesteryear and relevant today uh, and uh, putting something together for your ears. So, you know, keep an eye open, keep an ear to the ground. No, not to the ground. Keep an ear to your headphones or however you're listening. All right, back to Stephen. I can't say enough good things about Stephen Hale and uh, his overall journalism career and the cover story he wrote for last week's Nashville scene. It was called The Other Epidemic. Fentanyl is killing people in Nashville at a staggering rate. And it's true. The reporting is there. You should check out the piece if you have not already. We talk about the piece here and about how some of the realities around drug overdoses have changed in the past few years. We discussed this within, but I had until relatively recently thought that I understood what the various epidemics looked like, particularly around opioids. Um, you know, like many, I've lost friends, many friends to the opioid epidemic or peers or folks that I went to school with. I've lost many, many people in my life to this fucking monster. And, you know, it's just been raging for years, for, for decades now. And I've been hooked on pills and I've had family that's been hooked and in and out of rehab and in and out of homelessness. And, uh, you know, I've seen this thing like so many of us have, and I've seen this thing take its toll on entire towns and entire regions and entire economies. And without a bit of humor in this conversation, I remark about how I've long equated that version of the opioid epidemic with like the actual zombie apocalypse. Like we're waiting for this thing to happen, but it, it is happening in one way or another. Like it is a thing that takes lives it's born in a lab out of a mix of like greedy corporatism and corporate influenced lax regulation by way of government. And it just takes over brains and the agency of people who we know and love. And, it, it, you know, it's just 
it's horrendous. And it has been horrendous again for decades since I was a teenager. It's just massive and it's deadly and it's devastating in scale. And we've all lost folks to that ongoing epidemic. And what Stephen discusses within is that that is still going on, of course, but the addition of accidental fentanyl deaths and how fentanyl is cut with both opioids and uh, opioid-based drugs and oxys, it's just all of everything in that family. And also in counterfeit iterations of like any number of other drugs, this is what's going on and this is how things have changed. And this is ultimately boosting overdoses across the board, broadening the profile of people who are overdosing. And Stephen makes great pains to emphasize this throughout this conversation. This is not to say this is serious now because it's not just happening to people who are, quote, addicted to drugs, like to drug addicts. And I'm, I'm, that's, I'm saying that in air quotes. But it's important to note because the population of those potentially affected is now increasingly and just exponentially varied. It's kind of blown up over a very short period of time. And so the people that this affects has broadened. And a lot of people, including myself, don't even necessarily fully grasp how serious it is. And as Stephen says, you know, uh, this affects you if you are a person who uses a drug that is not prescribed to you, A, or knows someone who does. So that is all of us. That is everybody. And we all know someone. And there's a chance that uh, we know many people or we are those people. And I am sometimes that person or have been that person. Um, so yeah, a lot of this conversation, and it's a lovely conversation because again, I adore Stephen, but it's a, it's a frightening conversation and it's worth listening to. Um, we talk about a lot of different stuff in here. And so one thing I want to say is if we were having a conversation that was more specific about the opioid epidemic, we'd have talked much more about issues relating to harm reduction, which is something I'm incredibly interested in, in which there are a number of barriers in the state of Tennessee. And we discuss how those barriers are even creating issues with this particular problem. Harm reduction generally is something I'd like to cover deeper in future episodes. Please don't think that because we didn't touch on it more extensively here, means that that isn't something that's at least important to me or something that uh, we we don't want to cover. We want to cover this in a broader way. And this, uh, this conversation is a start of doing that. One other thing we talk about is we discuss how pre-existing police rhetoric in the so-called war on drugs has made it a bit of a boy cried wolf problem, more than a bit of a boy cried wolf problem in reporting on this most recent iteration of this issue. And as Stephen does in his piece, he goes into great detail about the diversity of agencies and experiences and folks that he's encountered in his reporting on this, that report that this is a thing to be concerned about. This is a thing that is happening. And I've already said it, but I just want to say it one more time. We say it over and over and over in this conversation. I just want to underscore it one more time. No one who dies by way of a drug-related death is more or less valuable than another person because of the shape of their addiction or because of their relationship with drugs. Were they more or less addicted than another person? Were they more of a casual user or or someone who, who is more deeply addicted? Um, these are all people, and every everyone matters. Everyone matters. We are just describing a different changing landscape that is responsible for an increasing amount of deaths. So I just want to make sure 
that that is clear in case it is confusing in any way. I've been here. Um, a lot of people I know and love have been here and it has looked many different ways for many different people. Um, I just want to make sure that that is as clear as it can possibly be. You know, we've just lost great people and, uh, the shapes and contours of their relationship with drugs are all different. It doesn't make them any less great. Finally, we recorded this conversation in a busy office and you'll hear some of that. It's not too bad. I would say it's not too bad for a person who is not a professional producer. I mean, I'm actually a professional video producer, but for a person who's not a professional sound guy, uh, I think it turned out great. Uh, but just a heads up, you'll hear some of that, some of that busyness going on in the background. It's, uh, it's like a real scene. I like it a lot. It's exciting. Okay. That's enough from me. Let's go ahead and talk with Steven. And by the way, thanks so much for listening to National Demystified. I appreciate you very much. I'm glad you're here. Hello. Hello. What's up, Steven? Not much. Good to be back with you. You're my first repeat guest. Oh, that's an honor. <laughs> that's an honor. I'm I appreciate it. Glad we, you're back at it and back in the state. We talk about very lighthearted things. Yeah, oh, yeah. Only the cheeriest <laughs> stuff. Someday like, we will yes. pick a better topic. <laughs> Someday we'll talk about something that like there's just like a general nerdery about. Yes. Do you, if you go, I mean, I understand that we collectively have not really been going to dinner parties, but if you go to a dinner party and people go around the circle of like what you do and what you focus mm-hmm. on or whatever. How do you describe who you are and what you do? I usually just tell them I'm a reporter for the Nashville scene, mm-hmm. staff writer. Um, I guess it depends how deep into it they want to go. <laughs> it, honest, the honest answer is that if I'm in the middle of working on something, for better or worse, they probably end up hearing a lot about that. <laughs> if I'm if I'm in between stuff, it's probably more of like, yeah, you know, I do a little bit of everything, write about some... Mm-hmm. You know, and I give them kind of a briefer summary. So it's it, it's yeah. probably depends on the timing. What is your like? What what do you consider your beat? Right now, it's mostly criminal justice related stuff. Something mm-hmm. that is at least tangentially related to that, although not completely. I mean, even this most recent story that I have out is, I guess, has an angle there. You know, I think a lot of this other stuff I've done has been kind of about the rapidly changing city and the mm-hmm. the effects that that has had on it. You know, I've written about kind of the lower Broadway scene, which is a little more upbeat or yeah. it's, it's bizarre, but it's For a little sure. more fun. It's not life or death. Um, but I, I always look at those stories as kind of being about the changing city and some of the, some of those stories are just a window into how the city's changing and what that looks like. Yeah. I want to get to the story that you have out today, but I'm curious about, um, does the city know how it's changed yet in the past 20 years? Like, is there, is there a, is there a simple, uh, synopsis of like, it was this way in the year 2001 and it's this way now. That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know if the city has a grasp on it. I mean, there was a a time when, and I, I kind of, this is sort of right after I got here, I moved here around 2010 and there was a period you know, right after that, in and around the period of the infamous now New York Times It City mm-hmm. article, 
you heard a lot of people being like, oh, you know, if the New York Times ever mentioned Nashville, people talked about it. It was kind of like people were still getting used to the idea of Nashville being this ma- more major city. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of started to curdle, I think, a little mm-hmm. into, okay, well, now people are annoyed at the, uh, you know, national publications that write about the city, but that don't seem to get it quite right. Or people are irritated that GQ does some story about a bar in East Nashville and it just supercharges the gentrification mm-hmm. that's going on or, you know, and, and so I think there started to be kind of a change there. And now, yeah, I mean, I think people probably are more aware of it. You know, the housing, I think it's fair to say affordability crisis, really. Yeah. I mean, it's not San Francisco, but it's not great. You know, I mean, it's hard to, yeah. it's hard to find an affordable place to live. Yeah. And that is one way that it has really changed. And also we're seeing how that changes just the culture of the city. I mean, we're losing places that have been here for years because the ground they're built on is being, you know, sold or being developed or whatever. Mm. And uh, I don't mean, I don't want to be naive about it. That happens. Change happens. But it's definitely, yeah, it's, it's just had a lot of effect. I mean, it's it's all around. And then the, the tourism. I mean, Nashville has always been a, for a long time, has been a tourist, had a tourist economy mm. and relied on people coming here with country music and all that. But there's a difference between that and, you know, the party tub, yeah. you know, like it's just a different vibe. I mean, <laughs> I when, was, I, when I got here and people were, people said Nash Vegas, it was sort of like ironic, you know, it was like a joke. And <laughs> now it's like down lower Broadway sort of feels that way. Yeah, so. I hadn't. So, I mean, I just got back recently, as you know, but I, I hadn't been back for a year and a half. And I mean, even in that, it's a small amount of time to be gone and uh, lower Broadway feels more like Hollywood Boulevard than I. Than, I mean, and it's it's always obviously busy, and it's always obviously uh, bustling in one way or another, and, mm-hmm. and an attraction for tourists or whatever. But there's like the whole new, there's like the Apple Block, <laughs> <laughs> and it really, on some level, like that Apple Block to like where that new Hattie B's is, like it feels. It really does feel like Hollywood Boulevard. Like it feels like an entirely, obviously, like slightly different energy, slightly different mm-hmm. uh, intensity. But like it looks and feels that part looks and feels. And I like we did a series on this show about the change of Lower Broadway from seventy eight to to ninety. So like yeah. I understand that what it looked like a year and a half ago looks radically different than it did before too. Right. Uh, but it's it's yeah it's fascinating how quickly those changes take hold. And it's, I imagine it's really interesting to see while you're reporting from the inside of it. And it's also really interesting to see, to go away for a little while and come back. And see. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, people who have spent their whole lives here have an interesting perspective because they remember when downtown was just a place that no one went forget residents, just no one would go down there yeah. because why would you, you know, it's just sort of CD or nothing to do there. Mm-hmm. That was fun. And, you know, it's sort of, we've kind of gone all the way through the other end where now, I don't know anyone who lives here who would go down there just because it's mm-hmm. it's wild. I, it sort of makes you sound kind of basic to say it, but it's just like it's just madness down there. <laughs> it's crazy. So it's like it's just you know you don't want to get caught up in it. But. Yeah. So tell me about your piece today uh, that, that came out today uh, in the scene, and tell me sort of what the issues in there, uh, how they fit into a changing city. Well, so I guess just a little bit of how it came about. I mean. People might be familiar for a while now, um, but I particularly started noticing them this year. The Metro Public Health Department will put out these alerts. And it's kind of interesting. The pandemic has sort of made us all used to the idea of an outbreak happening and you get 
you see on the news, oh, there was an outbreak of an infection over here. Or, and they started putting out these alerts of overdose outbreaks, mm. basically, um, where there would be a spike in drug deaths. And they would just be kind of warning people. And I think it's kind of it's interesting. It's an idea that m- may sound weird at first to some people. Like, why would you need to warn people about that? Um, but what was happening was there would be areas in the city where there would be like a quick spike in deaths related to name a drug uh you know it would be meth and it would be it would be cut with fentanyl and so they would put out a warning that would just say reduce your dose don't use alone if you have access to narcan you know use that which if people aren't familiar narcan is the drug that can kind of reverse an opioid overdose Mm -hmm. and so we started seeing these alerts go out and kind of hearing anecdotally about a rise in in drug deaths but it it hadn't gotten a whole lot of attention. I mean, other than Metro Public Health putting it out and Metro Police every once in a while announcing that they'd made some bust of 15, 20, 50 pounds of, of this stuff. And so we wanted to do a story on that. And that's kind of what led to doing the story today, with, which is just about, I mean, it's called the other epidemic because it's just about this crisis that's been running in parallel to COVID and started before COVID really, but has been running parallel to COVID and has been killing more people every year and is going to kill more people this year than it did last. And if nothing changes next year than it did this year. So one of the, you know, one of the lines that stuck out in the story to me is, um, and the reason this stuck out is like my whole adulthood, I feel like has been defined by there being an ongoing evolving opioid crisis in one way or another. I mean, I moved to Portland, Maine when I was 17 and there was a piece in, I think spin, um, that, upon the month of my arrival that would talked about Portland at that point being the highest concentration of Oxycontin used in the country. And obviously that, that banner went to many different locations over the past 20 years. Right. It was like in the, the quiet before Portland's like substantial gentrification storm. And I'm curious to know. So the line that I was talking about in the story is like, this is a different crisis than like starting in 2000 around 2018 this is a different crisis than the one that we're used to and to me it feels a little shocking because it has always felt vaguely apocalyptic like i feel like the opioid crisis is our zombie apocalypse in one way or another it fits kind of all of the bills like it's like a lab created it creates Mm -hmm. a dependency it creates for for some people who aren't able to get out i mean it creates death like it's right it's terrible it's a terrible thing but i didn't realize that like it had entered kind of like a new phase. So like, what is the shape of that? Yeah. I mean, if you talk to the Metro public health folks who are following this, as I did, they will tell you that. And they showed me these graphs where you can see podcasting is a visual medium. (laughs) I'm here using my hands, but you can see the opioid overdoses going down. And fentanyl is a, an opioid. It's a synthetic opioid, but Mm -hmm. meaning prescription opioid overdoses going down and fentanyl taking off. Mm -hmm. And, the real way that it's changed is that fentanyl's showing up in everything now. This is a, will be an oversimplification, but for an example, if during the opioid crisis, if one thing that you saw was people becoming addicted to their prescription pills and maybe overdosing that way or, or developing a dependency or eventually turning to heroin, say, mm-hmm. this has sort of almost become a stereotypical story that you hear. And I, like I said, I admittedly is simplifying it, but... For a lot of us, that's how we started hearing about fentanyl. It's in, it was in the heroin, and so people were turning to heroin, and then sometimes they were overdosing on heroin. Well, now, 
even the heroin deaths have gone down. It's not so much heroin anymore, but it's fentanyl started showing up in cocaine, started showing up in meth, started showing up in pills and, mm-hmm. and um, in a lot of counterfeit pills. So mm-hmm. people think they're taking a Xanax from a friend and it's fentanyl. Mm. And so the change is that this is now hitting, yes, people who are struggling with addiction, but also people who are casual drug users mm-hmm. or first-time users, you know, someone who doesn't even think of themselves as someone who's using drugs. I mean, they may take a an Adderall mm-hmm. from a friend, and I, I'm not, you know, just trying to scaremonger. I mean, this fentanyl has been showing up in all this stuff mm. to varying degrees. Um, MDMA, you know, people take ecstasy and it, there's fentanyl showing up in that. So... That's how it's changed. And again, I don't want to say this in a stigmatizing way. Any drug death is something we should work to avoid. Addiction is something we should work to address. People who are struggling with addiction, it's not that we should be dismissive of that. But it is a difference in in the type of crisis we're dealing with where it's not just, you know, we were seeing the overprescribing of mm-hmm. opioids and people getting addicted that way. And now you have it, it just spans the whole spectrum of anyone who might use almost any type of drug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that scares the shit out of me. It's really frightening. Yeah. yeah. And that's why the deaths have spiked because, as the public health folks put it, and to their credit, I mean, they're very humane. They, I think, have some reticence about talking about it this way because it can sound cold. But again, as I was talking to them, they would emphasize, you know, every drug death matters to us. We are working to stop as many of these as we can. But because of the crisis now, the universe of potential deaths is much larger mm. you know there there will be people who listen to this who will never consider using heroin they might consider taking a pill from a friend right you know those i are, have i have taken a pill from a friend. In, in general yeah. those i'm not saying there's no overlap between yeah, yeah, those yeah. people but in general those might be two groups of people that the circles don't overlap totally now this crisis can affect both right and so it's just it's way more people, right, right. you know, who are potentially at risk. Right. When you're dealing with different populations that are potentially at risk, like you're not dealing with just one approach. You, you're dealing with like right. a number of levels of approaches to get in front of people, to sort of curb an issue, to inform, to, yes. So. Right. It just, and yeah, I just, I want to keep emphasizing because I, I hate the idea that anyone would think that there's somehow, you know, a reason to be dismissive of the previous crisis or the or any any death of anyone sure. for any reason, you know. I mean, I don't care if a person's uh, has become addicted to heroin, we should, you know, that's a that's an important person an important problem. It's just that this is different. Mm-hmm. And at the way that it's different makes uh the death toll potentially higher. Well, I was telling you, I was telling you off uh, off mic earlier that I do have I have a friend in law enforcement who a couple of years ago around 2000, I believe this was around 2018, maybe early 2019, who was saying that within the agency he works in, his focus pivoted at some point very quickly to just monitoring um, uh, incoming, I think, like dark web shipments uh, that were coming from China in particular, because that's where a lot of fentanyl, at that point, I don't know how much this has changed, but like at that point, a lot of fentanyl had come in and it was not like that it was like, uh, let's focus on fentanyl or the destination. It was specifically, it was manifesting in counterfeit pills. And I think like what a lot of people don't realize with regard to this, the counterfeit pill situation um, is like, you know, you can think that you're getting one thing and really you're basically just getting like a crushed up powder that has like a touch of fentanyl in it. And you're dealing with you're dealing with people who are mic- who are creating that mix often unscientifically. Yeah, so, we're not dealing with you're not talking about chemists or right. pharmacists. I mean, we're these right. are people. So like the equivalent using is like a if, blender. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, and the equivalent is like if you you know 
you accidentally get that cookie that has like a like a wad of butter in there like you get that equivalent in a pill like you're dead like right. that's and 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 i think like a lot of people don't realize that that's that that is how is yeah that- i mean honestly we we maybe would have done this story sooner except that my editor patrick and i and and other people on staff talked a lot about it because i did not want to do a purely like fear mongering story i mean mm. because we've all seen the sort of panic that happens around some of these things you don't want to just do that and it's hard to talk about this without sounding that way mm-hmm. but i mean we have the picture in the in the story but a lot of people will have seen it of a penny and then a lethal dose of fentanyl mm-hmm. and it's it's remarkably small right and i mean my wife's a nurse and people who work in the medical field will, will be familiar with fentanyl being used in in medical circumstances you know mm-hmm. of course in, in an appropriate setting and in those settings you're talking about micrograms of fentanyl mm. a lethal dose of fentanyl can be two milligrams which is already small but we're talking about incredibly small doses of this stuff that is so potent to speak about it in sort of crude terms i mean you could just do a whole bag of drugs and be fine but at the very mm. end it's a right. little bit of this stuff you're you know it it'll kill you um even if you were trying to do fentanyl, which a lot of people, of course, are not, but you would have no way of trusting that it's been evenly distributed mm-hmm. amongst your supply. Like, that's just not what you're talking about, you know? Right. And I think, it, I think the reason I bring it up is I think a lot of people get confused and think that people are seeking fentanyl. Right. And that, that it has been, they've like sort of, you know, they've gone from heroin, which some people are actually like lamenting the good old days of when you could just get heroin. Right? Yes. So yes. like you're going from heroin. Like people, I think that some people think that, that there are just people who are like time to get big and they go and get fentanyl. It's like, no, it's like Mm-mm. it is these, these overdose deaths are often coming from it just appearing places where people don't expect it. To. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, a police detective I talked to told me, you know, you're not getting heroin anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you're not getting what you think you're getting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. I think there was a time maybe when some people who were addicted to heroin would knowingly use heroin that had some fentanyl in it because those two drugs are more similar and it would sort of increase the sort of potency. But yeah, for the most part, you have people now who have no idea or reason to believe that what they're taking has fentanyl in it, and it just does. Mm. The other thing that that I want to mention, because I think it really helps clarify the issue for people, I I spoke to a woman, her name is Tanya Jacobs. Mm. She lost her son to a a fentanyl death. Mm -hmm. He took what he thought was cocaine and it was it was fentanyl and he died she told me you know will you please be someone who who doesn't use the word overdose but uses the word fentanyl poisoning Mm. or or i mean she said or murder you know um and we could talk about some of the prosecutions that have happened in these cases too but the reason she said that and i thought all about it is because people get when you use the word overdose and you know it's hard to avoid in some circumstances mm-hmm. using that word. And it technically it's true. But when you hear the word overdose, what you, a lot of people think is they imagine someone who's been struggling with addiction and pushes the limit too far mm-hmm. or some multi-day bender that ends up killing someone. But with fentanyl, these deaths are not happening that way. They're happening with someone taking a dose of something that would never have killed them, mm-hmm. You know, almost certainly wouldn't have killed them, if not for the fact that there's fentanyl in it. And so I think, you know, she she made a good point that the word overdose can kind of give people the wrong idea and make them imagine that this is only happening to people in a back alley somewhere. Again, those people matter, but it's easier for people to dismiss if they think it's just something happening far away to people that, oh, well, I don't do heroin. So this Mm -hmm. I, I don't have to think about that. Right. But these deaths are different in that way. They're not 
overdoses in the sense that we might traditionally think of them. Yeah. It's, and it's so interesting too, like speaking to what you were trying to avoid earlier in the reporting is you're like, I don't want to contribute to a scare. My experience with law enforcement telling me about drugs is not a, uh, oh, <laughs> it's right. not one where I have a lot of trust. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah. but now I'm sure for good reason. Yes. For, for, you know, my history. And so I'm, so the, interesting issues you kind of have like a cried wolf situation in that now people who are like no 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 no, just like just so you know like any drugs can potentially have fentanyl you can be poisoned as a result um a lot of the people who've been telling you that in one way or another it has become hard to trust them and so so we're 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 now we now have this issue where i think people who this message applies to which is literally anyone who takes any drug that is not prescribed to them at all right um, or knows anyone who does which Yes. Okay, so that's basically everyone. Basically everyone, yeah. yeah. They feel skeptical of the message coming at them. That's totally fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also one reason why we really wanted to focus on a lot of the public health folks who mm-hmm. are trying to fight this. Now, granted, public health officials, you know, that's become polarizing because sure. we're also in a pandemic where the messaging of that hasn't always been great. But we wanted it to be a story that focused a lot on public health Mm-hmm. Um, not just law enforcement. Honestly, because of that, because yeah, the law enforcement folks I talked to for this story, their devotion to their jobs and trying to like stop these drugs coming in was palpable. I don't question their mm-hmm. their sincerity or their dedication. But yeah, we've all seen how that story can be framed. And there are some ways where I think it warps the story in a, in a way that makes it wrong, you know, makes right. it not as accurate as it could be. Whereas the way that the public health folks talk about this is i mean they have an epidemiologist who is working on tracking this i mean it's mm-hmm. it's very similar in that way to to outbreaks of, of a viral outbreak you know it's it's uh it can spread in communities when you see a, a cluster of them happening over you know drug deaths happening in one area much the way that we might respond to an outbreak of covid in an area they will send folks out to that area try to spread get them Narcan, try to talk mm. to people, try to inform people so that they know. And they'll tell you this, the public health folks. I mean, this it's triage right now. They right. know they're not, it's a tidal wave and they know they're not going to stop it by standing there, but they're trying to reduce deaths if they can and how they can. You know, they know they're not going to stop people from using drugs right. on their own. They're not going to con- talk people out of that. What they are trying to do is make it so that if people do use drugs, they don't die. You'd, you'd said in the piece, which was striking, um, that you know, overlapping a graph of of COVID deaths and overlapping a graph of um, of the deaths that you're describing now, it's it's a near identical number, a very close number. But yeah. the, the issue here uh, with these with these drug deaths or with the, mm-hmm. the fentanyl poisonings that there's no flattening of the curve. Like it's still like whereas COVID is shifting and in, in mm-hmm. infections, like this is just still going up. Yeah, yeah, I have it right in front of me. So in, from some first COVID death in Nashville was March 20th, 2020. Mm. Um, between then, between March 20th, 2020, and October 16th, 2021, so what, that's a couple weeks ago, mm. there were uh, 1,113 COVID deaths reported in Nashville. In that same time period, there were 1,070 suspected drug deaths that occurred in the county. Now, that the drug death number includes residents and non-residents. It's just deaths that did occur in the county, so it's not the exact same. I mean, but, you know, it's pretty close. It's Pretty close to the same amount of people died in this county of COVID and of drug deaths, the, most of them being related to fentanyl. Mm. And so it's pretty striking. Um, 
you know, the public health folks will tell you that they already were projecting drug deaths to increase in 2020, mm-hmm. even before the pandemic. The pandemic, you know, I guess I'll leave to other people whether this is totally just correlation or causation, you know, how that we don't, it's hard to break down how much of it is due to the pandemic. But in 2020, it ended up being higher than than they were thinking mm-hmm. it was going to be in, you know, they might have expected an increase anyway, but the pandemic did correlate with more of an increase than was expected, which is sadly, I don't think shocking, you know, yeah. given given the effect that the pandemic's had on people's mental health, isolation, all these things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty striking that we have this parallel crisis going on that is killing a similar amount of people. You know, you talked, it was fascinating. I saw so many parts of my life and lived experience in this, in this Mm -hmm. uh, story, not just because I certainly spent a a period as a, as a person who had a pills issue, um, but also is the, what was the young man's name who worked in the restaurant who, uh, Tyler, Tyler, Mm -hmm. um, like that's a, (laughs) whenever I know a younger person, um, who's like just getting into the restaurant industry, I'm just like, just be careful because like the restaurant industry is great and I loved it and it was how I spent much of my life working, but it is a place where there are a lot of drugs. Mm -hmm. And particularly if this is an issue now and like you think that it's just recreational and like often it is just recreational, like um, it could end poorly, very sadly. And I know a lot of people in that industry who who we've lost in the past uh, 10 to 10 to 20 years from, from, from abuse, from from exposure, but increasingly now I've been reading about mm-hmm. people in communities I know who are passing for the same reason. Yeah, and I know there's there's a push among people in the community, um, including one person I interviewed who appears at the end of the piece, talking about trying to get Narcan, fentanyl test strips and stuff into more of the restaurant, bar, venue mm. scene. Um, because these are subcultures where drug use is, is more common. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, just kind of being pragmatic about that and going, okay, if we know that, let's try to take some harm reduction steps in those areas. And, you know, because you think about it, if you work at a bar, you you got to take courses to make sure that you can sell alcohol. Mm-hmm. Why not also take an Arcan training class? Yeah. And, you know, it's, and it's not about stigmatizing the restaurant industry, but it's just, no, it's just a thing we know that yeah, there, is dr- there are drugs in that. There are drugs in lots of places. Totally. Venues, you know, mm-hmm. shows and stuff. These are places that it would be great to have some of these resources and of course to also be be ready to offer people who might be struggling with addiction you know resources to get help with that as well yeah because that's of course a big part of it still even though this is affecting people even people who aren't struggling with addiction it's definitely going to make it much riskier to be addicted to drugs now because the drugs that you go seeking could end up killing you so i mean you talked to a number of public health officials in your story um what is the education effort look like like how is this mess i mean obviously there's a piece in the scene this week but like how how are people uh learning about this yeah so it's interesting because i think they have been hesitant to share some data sometimes publicly Mm. because they don't want to stigmatize certain neighborhoods or so they they don't want to put out a map that says here are the hot spots in nashville for drug deaths because they don't want people to get the idea that oh that street is just a Mm -hmm. drug den you know and so they do a lot of that work behind the scenes where they they just use that data themselves and go try to respond to those areas with, yeah, informing people in those areas, going to businesses in those areas, you know, 
So if there's a strip in some neighborhood where there's businesses and restaurants and there's been a cluster of drug deaths, they'll send people out there, try to get them to carry Narcan um, in their stores or in their businesses, give them information about it, just make sure they're aware that this problem's going on and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's in that way, it's kind of this just sort of grassroots on the ground thing that it's been happening. And then they put out these alerts. There's a program. It's called the Spike Program, I believe. When there's a spike in overdose deaths, you can sign up. Uh, we have the information in the story, but you can sign up to get text alerts. Mm. So the public health department will text you saying there's been a spike in drug overdoses related to, sometimes they'll say what the drug was, sometimes they'll say, you know, depending on the circumstances. Um, and so that's one way they're doing it too. Mm. What was the, what, I mean, I would say there's, it sounds like there's a lot that was surprising in this piece, but like what was a bit that surprised you the most sure. outside of the numbers, I assume, are huge. Yeah. I mean, one thing is just this has been out there, but just talking to people about it, realizing how this stuff is showing up in every drug that they find mm. was surprising. Another surprising thing that uh, when I, I interviewed an assistant district attorney and a police detective who does some undercover work and stuff, and he told me they've seen dealers giving out Narcan mm. to their customers, mm-hmm. which is just quite a statement. Yeah. Of just the level of awareness that this has changed. And I mean, the other thing was just so I I interviewed this woman named Candace Sexton. Mm-hmm. She's the director of investigations at the Middle Tennessee Regional Forensic Center. Um, they do they serve as the medical examiner's office for Davidson County, but also do autopsy services for fifty two counties in and around Middle Tennessee. I mean, th- there's no easy way to say this. Their their morgue is basically overflowing as a result of this crisis. I mean, I went and, and visited to interview her, and they have an outdoor refrigerated truck for, again, forgive the sort of crude way of saying it, but for sort of overflow for bodies. Mm. And that's full. They also have a FEMA truck, which they got originally for the pandemic. But this office doesn't deal with that many COVID deaths because a lot of those happen under the care of a doctor and don't require a medical examiner. So it's, it's, you know, third of the way full too. And it's, it, the strain they're feeling is because of the drug deaths. Mm. So there's, there were a lot of stories the past year and a half about morgues filling up from COVID, which obviously were true. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in this case, the strain they're feeling and the, just the stress and the way the staff is overwhelmed there is because of the drug deaths. And that was kind of shocking. So with COVID, right? Like I know, I know a number of people from my hometown didn't believe in it, right? Like didn't believe mm-hmm. it was a thing, didn't believe it was an issue or whatever. And, you know, then someone who everyone knew would do a stint in the hospital and that has a PR element to it, right? Like there's sure. a, there's a, like once this guy, you know, does, you know, nine to whatever, 13 days on a ventilator, like that is a, like an alert that this is an issue. Right. And ideally they make it through and you and in the issue with with covid was was filling the hospitals sort of straining the resources or whatever and it seems like an issue here is like people just die people are alive and then they encounter the fentanyl poisoning and then they die relatively immediately and yeah. there isn't that kind of like oh this is in you know there's not time for it to wake people up yeah right because what, what people do psychologically when someone immediately dies is they disassociate in one way or another like that's was that was them they yeah. have like this issue whatever and so mm. it's, i think it becomes a hard thing to create a resonance yeah. with a lot of people. I will people. say it's one interesting overlap with the pandemic is and again I it's so hard to talk about some of this stuff and not sound cold. Mm. 
even through the pandemic, when people were talking about a strain on resources, you feel like, well, right. we're talking about people. We don't of want course. to talk about that way. But it is a it is a problem for people. You right. know, if the hospital is full, it's a problem for the person that gets in a car accident. Right. Well, with this spike in drug deaths, Metro Public Health folks told me that EMS right now is doing around 20 runs a day for mm. suspected drug overdose wow. calls. So. It's a strain on those resources too. Not all those people die, thankfully. Some, you know, sometimes EMS shows up and they can give the person Narcan and revive them. You know, so luckily some of these are non-fatal calls, but still, right? It's it's to that level where it is a strain on some of the resources for huh. sure. Yeah. And again, I don't mean strain as in like obviously those people deserve help. You know, but it's just that's the level of problem we're dealing with where it is. It is a noticeable area for their resources. And you just think about, you know, between 2016 and 2020 in Nashville, drug deaths doubled, mm-hmm. a little more than doubled. I mean, if the, if you just imagine if homicides more than doubled in a, right. in a three-year period, you know, we're seeing what happens when you have a, a spike in homicides in terms of it's a national news story, you know. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, this, the, the opioid overdose crisis has been, is an ongoing federal public health emergency i mean it has been declared a public emergency right but just to say like it's it's a it's a crisis on that level Mm -hmm. um it's just that for whatever reason people myself included it wasn't necessarily on our radar yeah i know that you're a journalist i'm not asking you to speak to like the the political sort of the political positions here but at what level are political narratives around um around this barriers to the ways that we talk about or intervene or, you know, I mean, I think one barrier is that a lot of our drug policies are based on the idea of abstinence. Mm -hmm. One example is that fentanyl test strips that I've mentioned in this conversation, state law considers those, uh, drug paraphernalia. Mm. (laughs) So now in Nashville, the prosecutors and the police are not charging people for having those right now, but it's still under state law. It's drug paraphernalia. It complicates it for Metro Public Health folks to get them because mm-hmm. it's illegal. You can get them, but it just it complicates the issue. And of course, in some sense, it is drug paraphernalia. You're only going to have them if you're using drugs. But of course, the point of them is to make sure you don't unknowingly take fentanyl. So right. that's an example where our policy is oriented toward sort of criminalizing anything that might be seen as encouraging or enabling drug use. Whereas the reality is that people are using drugs, they're just dying from it. And the public health folks are saying, look, if you're going to use, don't use alone, have Narcan. If you can get fentanyl test strips, get them and use them. Mm-hmm. So they're, the approach they're taking is harm reduction. One of, this is happening, and let's try to minimize the, the damage that is done to people when it happens. Yeah, Sure, in the long term, if, if there's some way to solve people's addictions or to... I mean, this gets into bigger conversations about our society. Why are people turning to drugs in some cases? Probably mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. Setting aside recreational use, but just why are people... Even that. I mean, why why do people seeking out a certain... I don't know. Uh, whether it's to relax or to relieve stress or whatever. Th- that gets into all these broader conversations. But I, yeah, I think that's one small example where you can see that the the policy is oriented in a way that is just not aligned with what's happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. The other is that... I say this, I I didn't write it meaning it to be a particularly, like, hot take. I think it's just true. But, you know, the Metro Police seized 50 pounds of suspected fentanyl a while back. 
It's enough to kill hypothetically eleven million people. Yeah, it's like a it's, it's like a nuclear a, bomb. It's like a nuclear I mean, yeah, it's it's you know, and so yeah. Speaking back to the way that the connotation of police talking about drugs and maybe scaring people. I mean, do the math. We, it's eleven million people. Like it, it could kill if you you know two milligrams is a is a lethal dose. They're not lying when they say that's a scary amount of drugs. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things. It's the, it's the exception that proves the rule. They seized those drugs. It's a victory for Metro Police to seize 50 pounds of lethal drugs. But they'll tell you it's a fraction of what's coming in. Those seizures are, in a way, are evidence of the failure of our broader policy of we're not keeping this stuff out. I mean, we're just not. It's right. it's it's coming in. And these these detectives are dedicated. I spoke to them. And they'll tell you. They, were just, they know that it's coming in more than they can stop it all yeah and i i don't pretend to know the silver bullet to to fix all that but it's just that is the case right now mm. um what is your biggest takeaway here what what should people walk think, away with i think my biggest takeaway is that if you are well i don't know if the, my biggest takeaway is just that this is happening on a scale that a while ago i wasn't aware of mm. more people dying more people almost dying but beyond that, my biggest takeaway, I think, would be that if you are someone who, for whatever reason, you just don't use drugs or your life is such that you're not, you're not in that scene, you're not in a, in a scene where you would come across it much. You know, I have two young kids. I'm not out partying a lot. I'm going to a concert this week. It's my first concert in however long. You know, it's just not. So I can speak for myself and just say it's not something I'm probably going to interact with a lot. Mm-hmm. it's not for like some high moral reason it's just my life is not and so it's easy it can be easy to dismiss anything related to drugs you go, know, well it's not i don't do drugs people i know aren't doing you know heroin so overdoses are sad they're tragic but it's not a thing in my life and it, my biggest takeaway is that's that is not true you, i think you should care about drug issues regardless but the point is people you know are using some kind of drug casually or recreationally if not yourself they are at risk of using something that turns out to be fentanyl and dying you know mm-hmm. i mean you are closer to this problem than you think mm-hmm. is is my takeaway both how prevalent some kind of drug use is and how ubiquitous the fentanyl is now i'm gonna ask you a very controversial question what's your favorite record that's come out this year Ooh. <laughs> By yeah, the way, that's more fun to talk about. By the way, when you were talking earlier about about the way Nashville has changed and what it means, yeah. whatever, the most controversial question I was asked this year on Twitter, so people could see, and I got real squirrely uh-huh. about it, was a friend of mine from Maine was coming down to Nashville, and they were like, "What's the best place to get hot chicken?" And <laughs> I was like, "I've never offered a more I talk about controversial shit all the time. I've never offered a more caveated series of responses in my entire life." That yeah, you you gotta you gotta. <laughs> Yeah, I hear that. So, oh, that's this is a so this is this is tough. There's a few. Yeah, you can talk about a few. Um, one of them that I will say is, and Joy, if you happen to hear this, forgive me because I I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly off the top here, but Joy Elodikin, mm. her record in defense of my own happiness, which came out this year, is brilliant. Mm. Everyone should check that out if you haven't. She recently played at the Ryman Open for Jason Isbell, um, and she's doing some shows. Next year she's got a show in the spring. I wish I had the date. I would tell people to buy tickets to it. She's excellent. She's local. She's great. I love the new idea Victoria record, a Southern mm-hmm. Gothic. People should check that out for sure. I will say a new album that just came out, I think, this week that I love and that 
is sort of topical is the new record from a war on drugs. Hmm. Um, Perfect. Yeah. If you like the war on drugs, you will like this album because I mean, if you like the band, the war on drugs, you'll like this album. <laughs> if you like the other one, you it's will got hate the this same album. vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably not the, tar- the target demographic is probably not people who, <laughs> who like the actual war on drugs. But if you, if you like the band, you, I'm pretty sure you'll like this album, same vibes and it's great. Right on. So there's there's three. There's probably more, but what about you? Oh, record wise, man, I don't know. I'm so bad at this. I'm bad at keeping up. I listen to old stuff all yeah. the time. Um, I'm I'm so bad at keeping. Though, okay, I did see. So this is not a record answer, but because because their last record was a couple of years ago. But I saw the band Totals the other day and Kings of the Fucking Sea the other day, mm-hmm. um, and just. First of all, to see music, period, like it's been a long time it's for thrilling. me. So it's yeah. thrilling. But just like seeing those two bands, Totals, uh, uh, Totals is very like sort of drum forward and almost like trancey drum stuff. And then Kings of the Fucking Sea, like classic, um, like 70s Aussie style metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love them so yeah. much. I'm trying to remember if, if Bill Callahan's latest record came out this year. I, the I think years, it came out last year. Did, was it last year? Yeah, okay. Which was like, oh, I, an amazing record. I love that record, but I guess that was last year. I'm, it's all blurring, but I oh, love him. You know what the record I like the most this year? Sorry, that, that was so helpful to me was the Super Wolves <laughs> record that came out. Oh, ah, yeah. Uh, Bonnie, Prince Billy, and Matt mm-hmm. Sweeney record. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's there it. you go. Thanks for helping me. Some good, some good music. <laughs> Who are you folks. seeing this week? I'm seeing Dashboard Confessional that's at fantastic. the Ryman. Dashboard Confessional and Laura Jane Grace uh, up against me is opening, yeah. which I'm really happy about. I've never seen her or I've never been able to see against me. I'm also from Florida, so That's Florida amazing. band there. But yes, Dashboard Confessional was very important to me at a time, certain point in my life. Of course. And I am, I've never seen them. Never seen Chris Graba, never seen him. So I listened to Dashboard Confessional a lot in 2003, 2004. Yeah, when, when everyone a, did. <laughs> exactly. Worked at a, worked at a, as a barista at a coffee shop bookstore. Oh yeah. Well, there you go. Listened to that and then went to go see <laughs> that. Yeah. I think that year I went to go see against me in, uh, in Boston or maybe Somerville, something like that. And I, I couldn't, this is the classic, I feel like against me story. Like I couldn't go, we got there. I couldn't go. I watched someone put a cinder block through a windshield of a car <laughs> and the cops shut the thing down. So like no one knew could go there. Like it was a fantastic. It's e- almost experience. as good a story as if you had gotten to go to the show. Exactly. Yeah. I can imagine what it was like. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about that because like I said, I've, I haven't gotten to see her and I've liked this, the solo stuff she's put out, but, um, and the band rules obviously so yeah fantastic yeah awesome well well enjoy i will <laughs> dude i'm glad we did this yeah man thanks so much yeah thanks a lot all right everybody that is it for this episode of national demystified thank you so much to cameron davidson for producing this episode thanks to knack factory for underwriting it thanks to we own this town for distributing it thanks to the national public library for not thinking i'm weird for just sitting and reading old magazines and publications all the time <laughs> appreciate you um i don't know that's it for now that was a lot that was a big one i'm glad we uh we ended talking about some music i thought that was lovely thanks to Stephen hale for uh being out there doing the thing that he does. I'm glad he shared a bit of it with us. All right. Take care, everybody.